Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Melissa Guyberson is an occupational therapist, an author, and the proud mama bear to two children. She's a storyteller who captures moments through photography and through her writing. Today, we'll be talking about her new memoir, Late Bloomer, but we'll also be talking about what it means to be authentic and a bunch of her other writing. Melissa, thank you for being with me here on the Storyteller's Microphone. Oh, thank you for having me, Grace. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's really an honor to have you. Um, I've had the honor of listening to you in other interviews and also having interviewed you on our other show. So I'm so happy to have this one-on-one time with you. Where I'd like to start today, Melissa, is you have recently contributed to an anthology, Art in the Time of Unbearable Crisis. And your particular piece was called Art is the Antidote. I love the title. Tell me about it. So art, um, so the anthology came about as a response to the war in Ukraine and also just a frustration overall with what had been going on in the world. And we wanted to do something that had a positive spin, a little beauty and do some good. Um, my essay was driven by frustration, uh, just what's, what was going on and what it felt like to be on in in a community in a country in a world that just seemed to be getting very ugly and very frightening and so i wrote about uh, and it came to me actually just as i was driving home from work one day and i would just pass some of these houses with these huge political flags and these signs long after election time was over and it just always upset me because it just felt like I was unwelcome and this is my community, my neighborhood that I've lived in for decades. And so I just wanted to write about what what it felt like um, on the receiving end of that. And um, just to do my part in having something to say about, I think we just need, and we still need more than ever, um, art, beauty, um, just, can't we all get along? You know, can't we all just listen to one another and just create space for different opinions without so attacking one another? So your view is that art unifies us? It does. I think we seek beauty in art and comfort. I, I know I do. And my fellow authors that I've uh, met along the way absolutely do. We just, that's where we go for just calm, for peace, for beauty. Yes. You, you said that we came together for the anthology. Who else is part of the anthology and how did it come together? Oh, it was a She Writes Press project. And the I- irony of it was that, the, well, sorry, that's Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe broke in. Nice to meet you, Zoe. <laughs> she always does. Um, the irony is that they thought that by the time the anthology had come together, the war would be over. And here we are all this time later, and it wasn't. So my She Writes Press sisters um, all contributed to um, to this anthology, whether it was a poem, an illustration, or an essay. 
and when I say we, I think that's the we, the collective um, us, if you will, who just wanted to contribute to something. All proceeds went to the World Central Kitchen. We wanted to do something good. We wanted to be heard. We wanted to be seen. Something different than um, the ugliness that had been going on in the world for, for too long. And She Writes Press, headed by Brooke Warner, is really an amazing press, isn't it? It really mm -hmm. does create a sisterhood of authors. So um, I didn't know about that project. So I'm always yeah. happy to shine a little light on Brooke and She Writes Press. And I'm so glad that you were part of that um, anthology. What does it mean mm -hmm. for you to be a storyteller? I've always, I think, been a storyteller. I just think it's so important because there is something uh, unifying um, and there's something about creating a safe space. And sometimes people are very, it's not just private. We don't know how safe it is to share. And what I've learned is when somebody steps up and shares a story, uh, it's amazing to me how many other people will say, you know, me too, not the me too movement we've come to know. Um, but certainly, me too, I have a story as well. Let me tell it to you because you're safe. And this is how we get connected. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, the tagline to my novel, The Eves, is when our stories are told, everything changes. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the um, tagline to the storytellers episode as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that you um, view your role as a storyteller in that way. Um, you have a unique story, or perhaps not very unique, but um, you're, the title of your memoir is A Late Bloomer, Finding yes. Your Authentic Self in Midlife. I'd love to hear more about it. Oh, uh, so my story is, well, interestingly enough, a lot of people have had the experience that I have had in which we followed a certain path in life for whatever reason that was, what was expected, the only thing we knew. For some people, it was cultural. For some people, religion. And uh, we were firmly established in that life, married to a man. We had kids. And we came upon some information. Um, for me, it was new information. For other people, it was information they knew long ago, but they pushed it really far down until it got to a point that they couldn't anymore. And for me, it was new information. I had um, come across some feelings that I never had before. They were same-sex attractions, um, despite the fact that I'd been married to a man for a couple of decades. Um, and when I went out into the world trying to find an answer, what what these feelings meant, what you know, was it a one-time thing? Was it a fluke? Was it me? Um, I came across a lot of people that had a similar experience. So it wasn't unique to me. We all have our story, um, but, but I was really quite surprised at how many people have had this experience, um, and men and women, I've, I've met both. Um, so I went about when I finally realized um, that this was not a fluke, this was not a one person, uh, this in fact was me, and that I went about reconfiguring my life so that it would be more authentic to who I was once I realized uh, the information and uh, accepting who I am, which I didn't know before. And your memoir, Late Bloomer, 
is very personal. It it goes through, I don't want to say step by step, but it brings the reader along mm. in uh, how you and your husband at the time each dealt with this. Would you talk a little bit about that? Because that's got to be, in addition to the internal parts mm -hmm. of, this is new information to use your words, how you negotiated that within what was then your marriage? So um, in the beginning, I kept it all to myself, but he, he knew me well enough to know something was happening, but I was frightened and I didn't know what was happening. So I held it in for as long as I could so that I could try to find some answers and for some understanding. I was also told as I started reaching out to people not to say anything because once you put it out there, you know, those words, you can't take it back. But he, he knew, he knew something was happening. And so by the time we had the conversation, he was very, very supportive. He wasn't surprised. And we had agreed to protect our kids because I was planning, we were planning for my daughter's bat mitzvah at the time. And that was her moment. So kept everything under wraps. Um, as far as the kids were concerned, life went on as normal, if you will, for a little while. And then we had told the kids on the other side of the bat mitzvah. And we continued our lives making small adjustments. We wanted it to be a gentle transition for all of us. So we had an in-home separation and everything was okay. He was learning to adjust. He was looking for another place to live. Um, I was learning to adjust to myself. And eventually he moved out and things started to change uh, a little bit, a lot of it. And so we, throughout the whole time, there were all of these adjustments that we each had to make uh, because it was new for both of us um, and traumatizing, uh, certainly for him uh, as well, having to change his life um, at this point when he never expected it or anticipated it. So there's no divorce or separation that is ever easy, in my opinion, even yeah. if, even if though many of them can be quite amicable, they're still not easy. They're filled with adjustment. Yeah. Uh, so how many years has it been now? Oh, it's been quite a few. We were separated for, for quite a while. We had early on agreed not to divorce. Um, I didn't understand the extent of my... Um, fear of divorce. And I had to unpack that after the fact. I just knew that I fought against it. It just didn't seem necessary to go through that process. Sure. And somewhere along the way, he changed his mind. And um, so our separation became a full-fledged divorce proceeding, including lawyers and um, a lot of angst, if you will. And um, so that became the challenging part is that we, you know, went our separate ways in terms of a plan when we were on uh, going in the same direction initially, and then things changed uh, a little bit of a curveball. And so I do write about that and had to do a deep dive into why I was so adamant that I didn't want to be divorced. Because for me, divorce meant trauma, and I was trying to protect my kids. 
and that comes through in all of your writing and your bio as well. The title of your book is Late Bloomer, and that's actually a term within the LGBTQ community, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, because you have people that will say to you, they knew when they were very, very young that they were gay. And then you have people like myself who didn't understand or know until we were 44 and we were living one other kind of life. And now we were new to this community and we bloomed late. We, we didn't know. We didn't have the information. Um, uh, we arrived at the party kind of late. So we were a late bloomer and um, some people push back on that. They don't, they don't trust somebody that just got to the party when they've been there all this time. And so I had to deal with that. There's really uh, in some portions of the LGBTQ plus community, a stigma, if I'm correct. Um, I had met a couple of people that, yes, definitely looked at me with some distrust and uh, didn't know if I was really you know, part of the community? Uh, was I going through a phase? Was I experimenting? And I understand that. And I understand why people wouldn't want to get involved with somebody that um, had a husband, had kids, had a life, and, you know, didn't want to risk um, getting involved if someone if they was going to go back to the life that they'd been living. So I knew it. I didn't like it, but I knew it. I understood it. I think, you know, psychology, who we are as individuals is complex enough. Sexuality, however defined, makes us more complex. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people who say, how could you not have known till you were 44? You know, people have said that. And it's one of those um, things that just falls through the cracks. It, it could be, you can argue it any which way. Some people will say, well, it's denial. You must have known. Some people will say it's fluidity. And there have been studies on this, that uh, sexuality itself is just fluid. And I can look back and say, I was absolutely attracted to men. I was attracted to my husband. I loved my husband. Um, I wasn't faking it in any way. And we had a, a, a good marriage. We had our trials and tribulations like anybody else. But you know, we had a good family. We had a good life. Um, so uh, for somebody that says, how could you not know? I, I just have to say, you know, that's what I say. I never had uh, an awareness of a physical attraction to another woman until I was 44. Um, and any emotional connection was just that emotional connection. And I think it's a fascinating discussion. I'm glad you brought up fluidity because in my mind, it's very fluid, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in other people's minds, it's set in stone or it's driven by religion or it is mandated by science. Right. Uh, but for me personally, I, I think of um, our sexuality as much more fluid. So I'm glad that you touched on that. And I'm sure our listeners will um, react to that uh, wherever they are <laughs> on the spectrum. Um, you mentioned um, being authentic and that you found your authentic self. From reading your memoir, from reading some of your other works and from watching you in other interviews. Uh, and you just mentioned that, you know, you were very much, you were attracted to your husband, you had mm -hmm. a solid man, man, marriage. What does authentic mean to you? Well, for me, authenticity is just being exactly who you are. Um, 
not putting on any airs, not faking it, not um, not doing anything other than living your best life according to the values that you have um, that are truly yours. Because I also think that a lot of times we we inherit inherit values um, from some family, culture, community. And it takes time for us to check in and say, is this my value or is this something I inherited from somebody else? And so living your authentic life is being in touch with your values, knowing that they're your values and going forward with your life exactly um, according to who you are um, instead of just conforming to what's around you or what you were told you should be doing or who you should be. Be who you are, not who you were told to be. Well, and I think that, you know, the subtitle of your book, Late Bloomer, Finding My Authentic Self, really posed for me the idea, and you alluded to it a little bit in your um, answer regarding ha having to wrestle with divorce and what that meant, mm -hmm. is being authentic, and I want to see if you would agree with this, it is doing that deep dive. It's not just being honest, if you will, at the moment. It is that digging deeper within yourself to, to say maybe what are your motivations, what are your mm -hmm. values? Is, is that where you are going with being authentic? Yeah, I, actually, I, I think that we are always evolving and at any given stage of our life, you know, we are learning, we are growing, if you're open to it anyway. Um, and so um, I'm that person, we'll do a deep dive, I will peel back the layers and I will revisit something because, you know, I may have looked at it 10 years ago, but I'm a different person 10 years later with different experiences. So I do think that um, being authentic is constantly looking at who you are at any given time and peeling back another layer and exploring it and being open and curious and evolving. I think we're just always growing. Yeah, I think it uh, being authentic um, in my mind also calls us to be much more conscious and to be uh, uh, much more aware of who we are in the world and how we interact yeah. with people. Uh, before we close, I want to talk a little bit about you are still an occupational therapist. You're still working. You're still very much involved with your children. Uh, how do you have time to write? And are you writing now? Um, I am writing now. And um, I've taken a small pause recently from my work as an OT, uh, just, just recently. Uh, for personal reasons, my, my, uh, uh, my dad got sick and so I needed to spend more time with him and, you know, we have to make t difficult choices in life. So I stepped away, uh, temporarily. I will return to it because I love it so much. I miss, uh, my patients. I miss exchanging stories with them. Uh, so I will go back to it. Um, no matter what I'm doing, I will always make time for my children and I'm always writing in my head. And so if there's paper or a computer, I will put it in whenever I can. But in my life, I'm just always writing. It's always going in my head. Another memoir, story, fiction, nonfiction? Where are you going, Melissa? Uh, I'm actually thinking of maybe fiction. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I am so glad to have met Zoe, to have had you at the Storyteller's <laughs> Microphone. We wish your dad Godspeed and um, all good things. Keep writing, Melissa, and thanks for joining me here at the Storyteller's Microphone. Thank you so much, Grace. I always enjoy speaking with you.
This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon. 